I had a mentor tell me uh, there's a difference between culture and environment. And yeah. most companies don't get that. Yeah. Right. They, they, people ask during an interview, what's your culture like? And you start saying, we've got ping pong tables. We bring lunch <laughs> every day. We've got a bar. Um, uh, and that's not really culture. The leaders that have had the most transparency over time, they're the ones that you remember. In times like these, adverse economic times, employees don't want to hear happy talk. Work every day like somebody's trying to take it from you, because they are. Well, hello. Welcome to Recruitability's Nothing Sacred Podcast. I'm your host, Nat Elias, here with my co-host, Nick Shank. Nick, how's it going? Good, good. Um, this is an exciting time. First time filming nothing sacred podcast that's right that's um, right and and first time after a little break in summer yeah yeah i'm excited about our guest here nate little um appreciate you coming to the studio yeah thanks for, thanks for having me absolutely nate and i uh, uh go way back we're excited to have you on on on, on the show nate uh, and i have known each other for about 10 years he has spent more than 20 years as a technologist product leader executive at companies like trilogy indeed and school admin which he co-founded and as CEO grew it over the last 12 years with a focus on building a company that was both high performing and a really great place to work. After three successful exits to private equity and strategic acquires, he's now independent advising companies looking to solve product growth and operational challenges. Nate grew up in Texas and has a lot of children. I do. So we can start there. Tell us about your kids. I have kid. I have I have four of them. It feels like a lot more than that. We have four. They're ages eight, eleven, thirteen, and fourteen. So our summer was spent uh, hanging with the kids. Yeah, yeah. it was a really yeah, great. What'd summer. you do? Where'd you guys go? So we went to Europe. We had an exchange student who stayed with us uh, about a year and a half ago, something like that. And we were going to go visit her last summer, and just couldn't make it work because of COVID, travel, everything else. So we made it this summer. Went to visit her. She's in the in the Netherlands. Okay. And so okay. Did that. Um, I went on a mountain biking trip with a couple of buddies to Colorado, and uh, then my wife and I got away for a rare break to Maine, which oh, was really cool. nice. Yeah. Which part? My, uh, we were in Kittery, okay. so right on right by Portsmouth, and then we would just go into Portsmouth for breakfast, and then right up the coast to you know York or uh, Algonquin or something like that. So we were in the southern part. That sounds relaxing it was super that's relaxing. great the northeast yeah. is, is nothing beats it in the summertime oh it's like, amazing oh. yeah and, and then we got home our kids came back from camp and it was just chaos yeah yeah, yeah. so i went what? to new jersey for new a family jersey. reunion visited family in boston area and then went back to minnesota for a little break because that's where i grew up got family there new jersey actually surprised me the beach the beach is there um first of all you have to pay to get to the beach in new jersey which surprised me and then um, the water was beautiful. And I, you know, maybe I'm naive, but I thought that the water would be kind of dirty, like the runoff from Manhattan and Staten Island. And all the dead bodies. <laughs> I've seen Sopranos. Yeah. So, but it wasn't, it was not like that. It was, it was really nice. So it was a good summer. That's great. That's great. Uh, well, let's dive into it. I mean, we're excited. We've got some time to spend with, uh, with Nate here. Um, you know, nothing sacred. We started this podcast. We talk a lot about work, what it is, what it looks like, where it's going. Um, a lot of conversations that were really unique during COVID. Um, uh, and now we're starting to see some of these companies just uh, really transition into 
you know, putting a stake in the ground and what they're going to be. And so much of that is really about culture, right? What kind of culture um, uh, are they establishing um, going forward in this environment, which has changed? You know, I think people, we see this, and I'd love your thoughts on it, Nate, but we see people that just, they want to work differently now, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's part of culture at companies. So, um, you know, I know, I know the school admin story, and I certainly want to hear your take on it, Nate, but, but culture was big. Culture was big to you. So tell us a little bit about how you set the culture of school admin. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's such a broad question because, you know, um, it's something we developed over years and years right. and years. It's, um, I view, you know, culture as, well, first off, when I say culture, I mean how we work together. Mm-hmm. That's it, yeah. right? It's not all the perks and the, I mean, that's, that's kind of a part of it, but it's a very small part. It's really just how we work together every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What's it like when you come in and, you know, do your job that day? And what's it like to be with the people you're around and how do you make decisions? And like, that's all really the culture. And so the way we, I thought about it, because I was, I had a product background is I I thought of it like, well, you know, let's, this company is, is my product and my job, I'm CEO, but really I'm also kind of the chief culture officer. So my job is to make this product as good as I can. Sure. And, um, you know, it's kind of that whole work on the business, not work in the business is, is my way of sort of making myself step back from the company, you know, Mm -hmm. out of the day to day and. Just think about how can I make this thing better, this product uh, uh, that, that school admin and doing that, you know, it did a few things. First off, it, you know, it had that separation, but then it also sure. made me think about, all right, you know, everybody thinks about our customers. You know, that's been a big thing. A lot of companies consider that. But are we also thinking about the users as our, our employees? Those are also the users of this product. Our investors are also the users of this product. Mm-hmm. So um, it just kind of put me in the mindset of always just trying to learn, you know, gather feedback, ask, ask our users, our employees, our customers, how are we doing, right? What are we doing a great job of? What are we not? And just learning as much as I can, you know, put myself in their shoes as much as I could. And then that informs the changes you make, like that, that actually defines the culture, right? So it tells you where you need to focus. Yeah. And so, you know, we, I approached it kind of like managing a product and just focused on building a system and just making sure that we had rhythms and accountability that kept us improving it every single quarter. It's a great way of looking at it. Did you do anything different with you know, getting the culture ingrained and adopted when we, COVID happened, we all went virtual? Yeah. I, you know, I think one of my wake up calls was just realizing we weren't, we weren't ready for it because we were an in-person office, mm-hmm. right? And we didn't do enough of the you know, the communication, letting people know what's going on in the business. We weren't proactive enough about that, you know, and that's one of the pieces of feedback I got when I did my quarterly survey, you know, because we'd always do a survey. Mm-hmm. It was anonymous. So people hopefully feel comfortable. And then I'd present the results of the survey to the company and say, all right, here's what we're doing a great job of. Here's where we're maybe not doing a great job of. And here's what I'm going to do and what the leadership team is going to do so that we can get better at this. And then we're going to report back in a quarter. And I remember that first one, it was just communicate more, you know. Yeah. And because uh, we were just sort of dependent on stuff casually, you know, communication kind of just casually happens when you're all in the office together. But when you're not, you have to you have to plan it. You have to have be systematic about it. You have to over communicate. And so that's that was kind of my first, you know, sort of aha learning. And so we got a lot better at that, you know, a few months later. But it's one of the uh, best lessons in leadership I've ever gotten was over communicate. Yeah. You, know, you can't communicate enough. 
uh, to a team. And even when you think you're over communicating, you're probably not communicating enough. Yep. I think, uh, and that's, that's interesting because when companies went to virtual, they had to over communicate now. Yeah. And all of a sudden, um, something else interesting you said is, uh, uh, culture is not a place you go to. Um, I had a mentor tell me, uh, there's a difference between culture and environment. And yeah. most companies don't get that. Yeah. Right. They, they, people ask during an interview, what's your culture like? And you start saying, we've got ping pong tables. We bring lunch <laughs> every day. We've got a bar. Um, uh, and that's not really culture. And people had to really look themselves in the mirror and figure that out when COVID happened. Cause you can't use that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you can't use yeah. environment yeah. as the culture excuse anymore. Yeah, I never right? thought about that, but that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. People really figured out what their culture was or if they even had one. Yeah. When we went virtual. Yeah. So I was, somebody told me once that culture is defined by who you hire, who you fire and who you promote. It's like nothing signals culture more than those three things. Cause people look at all those things. Um, would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think there's just, that's a, I think an indicator of what you really value at the end of the day, at the end of the day, cause you're putting your money where your mouth is. Yep. Right. Those people decisions are tough. Yeah. And so it shows you where your sort of principles are and where you draw the line or, you know, what is what's really important and what yep. do you value? You know, I would build on that and say, I think it's also then, you know, how do you how do you communicate? You know, how do you do? What are the practices around that? How do you teach people like healthy communication? How do you make decisions? Yep. Um, how do you run meetings? Right. That's also so I would layer on kind of the operations on top of that. But I think that's absolutely right. That It's the people and, yeah. and the decisions you make around that that are the foundation. Let's yep. talk about people for a second. Um, you started school admin. I imagine it was you and one co-founder. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And when it sold, you had 54 employees. Is that right? Yeah, it was right around there. Okay. What, what would you say the top lessons you learned about managing people were like and where you maybe improved or changed the most during that trajectory? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of them. Um, uh, it's hard to pick one, but I'd say one was... Okay, so this was actually a growth area for me as a leader. One thing that I learned way too late that I wish I would have learned earlier is, you know, I kind of always had this philosophy. I know you and I have talked about this, Nat, of, of like, I want to be the hardest worker in the entire office, right? I want to sort of, I'm just going to do whatever it takes. and I'm going to set an example, like leadership by example kind of thing. Not realize, and I'm also kind of a perfectionist, especially, you know, you know like, let's craft this, you know, product just this way. We mm -hmm. want it to be great, you know. We want to make the company great. So I always had my hands in everything. Yeah. And it was actually a detriment at the end of the day. I think me, me setting a high bar was a good thing. But, you know, I just got too involved in too many things myself and took on too many things. And that was, you know, in hindsight that was a big bottleneck for the company, mm -hmm. right? And because I wasn't entrusting others, it took me a long time. It was probably about year six or maybe even, you know, somewhere around there before I really started getting good at, you know, delegating and trusting others. But it was also depriving us of like a great way of engaging employees. Because if, if, you know, if somebody, if I were to do that sooner and show people, no, I trust you. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you accountable and I'm gonna support you and coach you in taking on this thing that I otherwise would do. Yeah. You know, that's, that's autonomy, it's rewarding, right? Yep. You know, it's, it'd be rewarding for them. So it was, I took way too long to figure that lesson out. Was there out. a breaking point where that, like, where you learned that lesson? Yeah, it was, um, it was 2014 into 2015. We had our toughest year we ever had. We had just, we had taken on too much growth. 
we were trying to do too many things at once because we sold software to schools. So we were in private schools and we also were going after charter schools and they were just too different that we were spreading ourselves too thin. Um, I hadn't solved some of these cultural things, you know, like delegation, like I was mm -hmm. just talking about was a, it was an issue. Like we just weren't very good at that yet. And we got to a point where, you know, our customer sat was bad. Our employee satisfaction was taking a big hit. I had made a couple bad hires, mm -hmm. you know, that were affecting the rest of the company. And uh, so, yeah, it was a wake up call. That's when I, in fact, that's right. That was after I joined EO, but I spent a lot of time is it's entrepreneurs organization, which is my, you know, group of people that I meet with who also run businesses and we share ideas. And I brought that to them. I was like, I got to figure this out. You know, I got to figure out how to get better at this whole leadership thing. So yeah, there was definitely a wake up call for me there. And there's a real, uh, uh, there's a real power in that message around um, your level of awareness. I think, I think people tend to, leaders tend to, you know, they know what they're good at, but they tend to think they know what they're not good at as well, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. And, and um, uh, in your case, you, you know, just, you admitted just now that you tended to overwork and take on too much. And, you know, you have to have a level of awareness to know that, hey, this is the type of person that I am. Yeah. And I need to do this now, right? Um, uh, the flip side can be said for somebody that maybe is just really good at delegating all the time and doesn't want to take anything on. Right. That person can have a level of awareness to know that, hey, maybe I should take some of this on. Let me own this. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the days of uh, leading by example, I think I've talked about this on this podcast before. The first one in, last one out. People don't look at you with respect anymore. Now they're like, that guy's just not efficient. At his job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's wrong with him? Like, he spends a lot of hours in the office. Yeah. Something's wrong with that guy. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. Because we used to sit around with my first boss. I would sit around and just wait for him to leave because I knew that would set an example. It's not like I was really doing any more work. Like I was done with the work for the day, but I would sit at my desk and I wouldn't leave until he left because that's how I knew that was the example that would show that I'm working. Yeah, and it wasn't people didn't work from home yeah, when I started my career. Yeah. It was like, you left your computer at work. It wasn't until several years in my career when I had a laptop I could bring home from work. So I think that's part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We make, I mean, we, we talk about this a lot, a lot in the podcast. It's, it's just, uh, you know, how it's changed, right? And, and, the, and there has to be a level of awareness, again, from companies as well as from um, employees that things have changed and everybody's just figuring it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a hybrid work environment now. We're Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in the office, Thursday, Friday. Um, we're remote and it's working. You know, everybody understands it. We put our stake in the ground. We said, hey, this is what our environment's going to be like. Notice I didn't say culture. Mm -hmm. Our environment is now three days in, two days off. And when we're together, we have fun. There's a lot of collaboration. And then when we're not, my hope is there's more focus, yeah. right? That yeah. they're, you know, they're doing the thing and they know what they need to be doing. Well, I would think, does, do all the meetings just get crammed into Monday, That's Tuesday, Wednesday? That's been the Wednesday? problem. Yeah. Nobody, I mean, look, everybody's Zoomed out and teamed out. Nobody wants to have virtual meetings if they don't have to. So I think what we're seeing is, you know, our staff meetings, our sales and marketing meetings, all of our meetings tend to happen when we're together. And then there's nothing from a meeting standpoint except for like a huddle or yeah. whatever, right? In, in the morning on Thursday, Friday. Yeah. So Thursday, Friday is pretty clean to just get work I mean, done. It's like a basic, basically we have a four day weekend now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, if you get your work done. <laughs> three day, three day work week, four day work, four day weekend. That's innovative. That's, Nat. The, yeah. that's the recruitability yeah. way. Cutting edge. <laughs> Nate, you alluded to hiring mistakes. What, what are those mistakes that you made hiring that you would never repeat again? <laughs> yeah. So one is, it's funny. The thing about hiring is the mistakes that they, they, they show up in different ways. And like the same mistake can show up in all these different ways. I remember we did a, um, we did a uh, retrospective after some hires and, you know, we were like, what's working, what's not, what, what mistakes did we make? We did this whole kind of learning thing. And I remember thinking at the time, like, I even said it actually, it's like, man, I feel like we have made every single mistake you could possibly make. Turns out there's like, no, they keep coming. Like you keep making, you keep finding new ones. But, and, and, it's, and it's typically around, I think the biggest mistakes I've made are typically around, um, either i mean sometimes it's you know on the recruit on the front end of the funnel like on the recruiting side sometimes it's like you didn't uh communicate who you are as a company and sell the candidate and get them excited about coming but most of the time it's been about just not doing a good job of evaluating yeah you know and not being disciplined like either it and it shows up a lot of different ways i've done this first one where you're just so so desperate to bring get somebody in and help out that you you see red flags and you kind of overlook them you know Or everybody's super busy, and so you, um, you know, you, you kind of skip the process a little bit, or yeah. you don't do the you don't do the debrief meeting at the end, you yep. know, where you really dig into whether or not this is going to be the right hire, and uh, that's cost me in big ways. I've had a couple examples where, you know, very bring you very bring a very senior person in, and who may not be a cultural fit, and because they're a leader in the company, right? And they're maybe they're great people. It's just they just approach the world differently than we do that starts to seed throughout the rest of the company and they have an outsized impact of sort of taking things in a different direction that that you want i think that's some of the most costly ones are the ones that you know where they sort of they leave an influence on a lot of others and then you you got to you know then you got to really focus and sort of course correct yeah yeah did you always you said something interesting there about debrief do you always debrief after a meeting, interview, sales presentation. Is that sort of a, a habit that, that you all adopted at School Admin? Yeah, we, we wouldn't do it always, but yeah, we really tried to do... So I'm going to actually separate these two. There was We called it the debrief meeting, which is the actual, at the end of the interview process, when you make the decision of, are we going to hire this person or not? Right. That's where we all get together. Then afterwards, we do retrospectives periodically, maybe once a quarter, something like that, to say, how are we doing? What can we learn? So yeah, we tried to embed that in is is in everything we did, like any major mm-hmm. function. You know, we try to build in the lessons learned, routines, yeah. and rituals in there. But yeah, no, as part of hiring, the you know what I'm calling the debrief meeting, which is that where all the people who did their interviews get together and discuss the candidate. That thing is maybe the most important step of the process, and so we spent a lot of time working on that. There's actually Amazon has a great model for doing a debrief meeting. Really? Yeah, if you look at it, I don't think they've ever published it, but I've, I've heard about it, you know, and I, I've kind of gone, you can go find it like on Quora or on the internet, you can go find descriptions of how they do it, but um, it's the whole thought process behind it is everybody who interviewed this candidate, they have a very narrow view into this person. And are they a good hire? You know, everybody's gonna have an opinion, mm-hmm. but they, they have a limited data set like yeah. they don't know a whole lot about this person they spent 45 minutes with them yeah so the whole idea behind their debrief meeting is your job in this meeting, first you're going to vote on should we hire this person at the beginning but then your job is to learn as much as you can from all the other people in the room right 
what they saw about this person. So you go from this very narrow view into having a much broader understanding of who this person is and are they going to be a great fit for the company and are we going to be a good fit for them? And you can just make a much more informed decision. And then they have this person called the bar raiser yeah. whose whole job is to run this meeting. So you've, you've heard about this before. Yeah. The whole job is just to make sure we're elevating our bar and the hiring manager and the bar raiser have to approve the hire. So, okay. so just to help you avoid the whole, you know, eh, I'll kind of overlook some of these things because I yeah. really want to get this person in kind of thing. But yeah, that's that for us was maybe the most important part of the process. I just uh, just got back from a conference in Miami and the, the keynote speaker was a guy by the name of Shark. Um, he was uh, that was his call sign. He was a top gun commander and um, uh, he wrote a book and uh I'm going to draw a blank on it. I think it's called Waiting to Debrief. The whole book, there's debrief in the book, but the whole book is focused on, you know, accountability as a definition means absolute ownership and the importance of debrief in the workplace after an interview, after a sales presentation, after a meeting. He said the most important part of his time in the Navy was the debrief. Hmm. After every mission, um, every practice flight they weren't allowed to go home until the debrief the debrief had to happen right right after the mission and that's where they learned from their mistakes what went right what went wrong and they documented it and went forward and so he wrote this book and now he goes around speaking um uh there's two guys one shark one's cujo and uh, uh yeah it's amazing um uh they, <laughs> I mean, they still go by their yeah. call signs i mean he's he's in his uh mid to late 40s now still goes by his call sign and uh, uh but it's a great book and uh, uh it was a real powerful keynote yeah when i was uh, at the houston texans they called that the after action review yes yeah they pulled it yes, from the army yep the after but, um, army calls it after action review you're right yeah yep um he talked about that um the, the q the q a with this dude by the way afterwards um like it was a real powerful message and there was a bunch of business owners in the room Every single question was about Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I still haven't seen the say, sequel. Hey, I was like, I told him, I said, does this happen a lot? He goes, all the time. Every time. <laughs> yeah. So what's better, one or two? The, How realistic. The second one's still yeah. in the theaters. I got to play go volleyball. Two <laughs> <laughs> <you> play volleyball. <laughs> Classic oh, scene there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so let's talk about school admin just a little bit more. You obviously had, was it one, two, th how many funding rounds did you have? We had, so um, the, our funding was all private through my, my business partner, Jack, Jack okay. Long, amazing, uh, amazing human being, wonderful partner. I, I lucked out, right? He's great. And he provided most of the upfront capital for it and uh, was more of a passive um, uh, manager, you know, so he was involved on the board and advisor, but yep. not involved in the day to day. So that's how we approached funding. Now, once it came time, you know, Jack was ready to move on and do just focused on philanthropic causes uh, in 2018 is when we began the process. And so we ran a, a full process, hired an investment banker, mm -hmm. you know, all the way down from hundreds of, you know, teasers sent out all the way down to the LOIs, IOIs, LOIs, management presentations, uh, and then completed the deal in February of uh, 2019. Okay. And that's when we bought you know, that Jack was bought out. So we brought in a private equity investor. They put in some growth capital that we then, you know, put to work. Um, that was the first one. The second one, um, they their name's Quad Partners. Uh, okay. That was the investor. Uh, they sold their majority stake. And I, you know, uh, I sold some of mine, but this was in 
uh, March of 21 of last year. Okay. Um, we sold to a strategic a company in our space called Final Sight. And then there was a third one where they, in December of last year, the private equity company that owned them sold them. So it's, okay. uh, you know, so I've been through three, three of these events. Do you, when you sell a company, you've done it a few times. Is there any part of you, cause you put your heart, soul and effort into these companies where you have sellers or more, so you're feeling like it's just, you know, it was such a huge part of your life and now it's not. How's that feel? Yeah, it was weird. Um, surprisingly, I didn't have, you know, the seller's remorse. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of years preparing Got for it. this, both preparing the company, um, which, you know, we could talk more about that if, if, if you guys are interested, but like a lot of time preparing the company, but then also trying to make sure that, you know, we, I, you know, cultivated relationships with people in our space. So I knew the CEOs and, and or leaders of the different companies that, yeah. that you know, might be you know, people that we might want to sell to. And, you know, through that made sure, I don't know. I felt like at, once it was done, everything's, when you sell your company, things are going to be different, no matter what, right? Yeah. There's no, com no two companies are the same, right? So stuff's going to change. You'll have new bosses, new ways of doing things. But I felt like I had done my due diligence yep. and really picked the best place we could have landed, you know, in our market. And so I felt, I, don't know, I felt good about it, you know? Yeah. Um, Did somebody give you a playbook? I'm like, hey, if you want to sell your company, this is the process over the like preceding two to three years that you need to follow to best position your company for an exit. Yeah, there's a there's a book out there that I think for somebody who's first starting to think about this. Yep. Um, there's a book out there called Built to Sell. Um, I think it's Warlow is the name of the author. Okay. Um, but it's a short, easy read. I mean, it starts with the fundamentals. So you know, it's a great. I think it's a great starting point to read it uh, about all of the things. And it's generic, so it's across all industries, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it talks about the things to be thinking about, you know, whether it's getting your books in order, having the right metrics, what are those key metrics that acquirers are gonna care about in your space, um, revenue streams, trying to diversify revenue streams or have more, maybe more recurring revenue streams to balance out, you know, project-based mm -hmm. revenue, uh, things like that. So it's a great starting point. Um, I also talked to, so I read that book, I also talked to investment bankers Yep. And what's great about it, if you're if you're of big enough size where they're interested in you as a potential customer, investment bankers love to talk. They love to meet people, right? Yeah. And because you may hire them, and you may hire them to run your process when you do sell, and that's a great great place to go to learn um, if 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 it's available to you, uh, because they know. I mean, that's what they do all day long. They know they what sell. metrics that buyers are going to care about. Yep. All that stuff. And yeah. they could look at your business. You could sit down with somebody and say, hey, here's how we do things. Here's, you know, summary. And they can say, okay, here are the things I would invest in now. Mm -hmm. Right? So that you're in a really good position three years from now when it, when it actually comes time to want to sell. Yeah. So that could be great. Or if, you know, sometimes I was too small when we first started, so that option wasn't available to me. So uh, I remember I talked to like their M&A advisors, you know, people who do this for a living. The other thing that's great is every industry is different yep. in what the dynamics are and what companies are looking for is different. So finding people that are in your space who have sold their companies, especially if it's in the last few years is amazing because they, they just went through it. They know what things people dug into. What are the metrics they cared about? Right? Yep. What's, what's trendy? Cause certain things like for us, payment processing revenue is super trendy for us. So if we could, you know, <laughs> tap into that trend, right. you yep. know, it was, it would, so it was, I don't know. We just kind of went everywhere we could to learn. Got it. Got it. Um, you know, one of the recurring themes in this podcast, we talk about employee retention, employee engagement. 
for holding on to your best employees, what, what did you find were the best methods to improve employee engagement? And like, what did, what signals did you look at to determine like how engaged your employee base was? Yeah, we looked at uh, things like, it was a lot, there wasn't a whole lot quantitative. I mean, we had an employee satisfaction score surveys mm -hmm. we do periodically. A lot of it was qualitative. Like we would ask, you know, always ask for feedback. How are we doing? How are you feeling? You know, like sit down one-on-one, -on -one, you know, try to just get input everywhere we could, Yeah. you know, to do that. But ultimately we thought about, we just looked at what's life like for people on a day-to-day -day basis. What are they telling us? You know, yeah. where are the problems? What's getting in their way? Because at the end of the day, people want to, you know, they want to be able to get their job done and not have a lot of friction or, you know, or things getting in their way. Yeah. They want to work with people they trust and respect. They want to be respected and have their voice heard. They want, you know, there's certain things that everybody's different, but there's certain things that generally people want. So we just identify which one of those, based on what people are telling us, are we not doing a great job at? Yep. You know, and then we just each quarter pick one thing and just get a little bit better at that. Yeah. Every single quarter. Yeah. We have a, um, we have a question we asked during the interview process and it's, uh, what's your why? Yeah. And I, I believe people get up every day and go to work for themselves. They don't go to work for recruitability or school admin, Jordan Lamar. And the why is what gets them up every day and, you know, gets them to work. And I've heard so many different answers over the years, right? Yeah. But, um, uh, I've heard some really powerful ones and, and um, uh, my answer is always let's focus on that. Right. If we as a company can help you get there, um, then we're all going to win. Right. So and if it's, I've had I had a girl tell me that she wants to um, open up centers for bruised and battered women all over the world. And because I find out later she grew up in that environment. And I said, you know what? I don't know that I, I can think of a better why. Let's focus on that. How can we help you get that? Right. Mm -hmm. And that it's amazing how selfishly that helps with retention, mm -hmm. but also it is a focus on um, them mm -hmm. and, and, and they want that, right? They need that. Yeah. As employers, we should figure out a way retention becomes easy if we can figure out a way to focus on that. Yeah. Well, it shows that it's not just a transactional relationship. Like you care on a personal level, not just a professional level. And, uh, I think in, in the worst work environments, the most toxic environments I've worked in have been, it's always felt transactional yeah. and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, replace, you feel replaceable. And, uh, so if you can connect on the personal level and you know, that can go a long, long way. Yeah. And it's, and, and there are, there, and there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of big companies that have figured it out cause it gets harder as you get bigger yeah. right, to be able to do that. But it's, um, but you know, I think the realization that I had is when, and I tell people this, you're going to spend more time over your lifetime, you're going to spend more time with your work family than you do with your real family. Mm -hmm. And so why not work somewhere that you enjoy the people you're around, that you enjoy what you're doing and that you can make a career out of. And, you know, I, I get home at six, six thirty, and my kids go to bed at eight thirty. right? I get two hours with my kids every day, but I get eight hours with the people I work with. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty yeah. powerful. Yeah. yeah. Over many decades, think about those out. Yeah. The hours at work, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, any, um, uh, any lessons learned anything like, you know, we all, uh, Nate, obviously Nate and I go back way back. And we talk, we always talk about how, you know, failing forward 
and, and you know, what we can learn from obviously the debrief, let's call this the debrief, but any lessons learned, anything that if you could do it all again, you would do differently or, uh, uh, you know, did it all just flow smoothly? Yeah, no, it was smooth. It was easy. Okay. Yeah, I don't have anything. <laughs> All right. All no, right. I got No, I, there's, there's many, many lessons Stay learned. Stay tuned for Nate's book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how to be in, how to make it easy by Nate. Now, I, uh, I, the biggest one it was probably what I was talking about earlier of just getting better at delegating and sort of recognizing that that makes um, the, the job more meaningful in addition to helping you scale. Yeah. Um, and... I think trusting my intuition was another one that took me a while to become really comfortable with it. Cause I'm uh, just my, I'm just built. Like I want to look at data. I want, you know, I want to understand the numbers behind things. And, yep. you know, over time you sort of, you make enough decisions, you see enough situations that you really, you start to develop an instinct um, yep. and just sort of being willing to roll with my instinct. You know, yep. if we don't have the information we need, you know, just, just move forward. I think that's another big one as yeah. well. They're there. I mean, those are for me kind of just as a, person as the a ones leader. that stick out the ones yeah, that yeah. stick out yeah 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 i just got another i like your what's your why though i'm gonna have to remember that one That's yeah it. and 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 just to be fair in case he's listening i stole that from jeff hoffman the ceo and founder of priceline okay okay uh, that was his his thing, thing uh, jeff hoffman. that he did yeah um, uh, so when and, you uh, use it you have to credit mad and then credit yes, jeff yeah, yeah. two other <laughs> i'd love i'd love for you to credit me but then i gotta i gotta drop the credit somewhere but he said that I heard him speak and he said that's that's a question that he asks everybody and as soon as he said that you know we always ask things around that but now we that's the most important question that i ask and in the culture interview is yeah. that yeah and uh and i also want to hear how superficial their answer might be right i want to i want to know I mean, you know nate you know this i'm a big fan of vulnerability i want to see how how vulnerable can somebody get in an interview right yeah. how how personal do they want to get in an interview it tells me a lot about you know who they're going to be yeah, and the interview is the most guard up, put out your best, you know, version of yourself. Try mm-hmm. to make a, I mean, that's the ultimate, you know. Yep. Give a give a certain version of yourself. I mean, what's it's your why question? Sort of, it does it does strip it down. Right? Yeah. Yep. It, ta- it takes it right to see how people respond to it and what is, you know, how how vulnerable and honest do they want to be with their answer? Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it goes a long way. Yeah. What uh, like coping mechanisms did you develop during like some of the lowest points of school admin? Because you know every company has those low points, um, and you know everyone deals with that sort of anxiety and stress a little bit differently. Yeah, I got I, I, actually one part of it was I'm in a group I, I referenced it earlier called Entrepreneurs Organization mm-hmm. EO, and you meet with fellow, you know, people who run businesses and are in a similar, because it's not easy. It can be lonely, you know, it can be, it can be tough, really tough sometimes. So sure. it's a group of people that just super high trust, you know, everything's confidential mm-hmm. and you can just, you know, and we've all been through the same stuff. It doesn't matter what industry, whatever. So having a peer group of some sort, and I've had individual peer groups just with friends, you know, that were like just people to bounce ideas off of. Like yeah. that that is huge. Yeah. You know, it's just a way to get perspective. That, sure. It can be hard if, you know, if you don't have others around you in that same situation. Yep. Um I also focus for me health is is the big thing. Like exercise, you know, eating healthy, uh not drinking too much, like mm-hmm. those types of things, you know. Uh like if I can do those consistently, huge impact on my just sort of 
mental well-being. You know, when I'm yeah. in there and I'm dealing with something super stressful, I'm just a lot more resilient if I'm getting my exercise every day. And yeah. Sort of, so for me, that's a big thing. Just, yeah. And and I go through you know phases where it's doing great, and then phases where it's just like the the debauchery, right? Like it's just I'm, I'm not, you know. And then but usually it's it's tended more towards you know sustain maintaining health, and then sure. that's a big that's a big thing. Yeah. If I'm in a really pissy mood. I'll ask, first thing I'll ask myself, when's the last time I played pickup basketball? And yeah. t- typically it's been a while and that's like, that's my stress relief. Right. So, yeah. um, and then Tony, the, one of the other co-founders of third Lamar, he's an accomplished jujitsu athlete. Yeah. If he hasn't trained jujitsu in a few days or longer, like I can tell, I'll ask him and he'll let you like, he's like, it's been a little bit, you know? So it's like knowing those things is kind of funny. Yeah. It's, you know, we were, uh, I was talking about this with a couple of buddies of mine that I go mountain biking with and it's the type of thing where, you know, when you're, when you're out there and you're navigating all these, these features and you're not thinking about anything else, you mm-hmm. you're just hundred percent involved in that. And cause you know, I'm sure all of us probably have this to different degrees of your brain's probably always going on some problem or some challenge just having something that clears your head that's physical yeah. like that like i think there's something to that yeah do you still play pickup basketball yeah ramsey park um 9 a.m on sundays yeah and i've heard about a few other games i just haven't had time but i if i could play four times a week i would yeah yeah i, I mean my it. body might not agree but <laughs> i feel it the next day i love playing i feel it the next day and I've, I've only played once since uh all the gyms open back up yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. And I don't really play with people in like their early 20s who treat it like game seven of the NBA finals. So, you know, if you have an open layup, no one's going to like challenge I mean, you. The, the, key, <laughs> the, the key these days is to give 75% on the court. If somebody's giving 100%, I'm not going to play with yeah. <laughs> It's not worth the risk. No, it's not. Don't, don't, give me, don't, give me your, don't give me your best effort. Give me just enough to not get in. Well, you'll yeah. get sucked into that, Ned. Yeah. 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 Into, into the competition. competition. That's right. That's yeah. right. But it's that's an, that's a great question, uh, Nick. I know uh, Nate, you do uh, you do a big mountain biking trip or a couple every year, right? Yeah, yeah, at least go? one. We'll do every year. Yeah. Where, and where do you guys typically go? So we go. We were going to Utah for a long time to Moab and uh-huh. right around there. There's some incredible trails out there. And then we started doing Colorado, and we went to uh, a winter park, which they they call it Trestle during the summer. But you take your bike up on a lift, and it's downhill mountain biking, uh, which is a lot of fun. I would like that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's it's. You know, you're playing with fire every time, you know, a little bit. But uh, and then this last time we went into Colorado, just down by Salida and okay. took a bunch of shuttle rides where, you, you know, you ride, drive, drive a pickup truck up, uh, drop your everybody off, ride down, leave another car at the bottom. And, you know, oh, that's it's, cool. It's awesome because so you can just ride all day and mostly descent. And we're we're from Texas. We don't bike well at 12,000 feet. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have that endurance. So, yeah, yeah. The lung capacity. Yeah. You know, you you might not agree with this, uh, but, you know, we've known each other a long time. You've always been good at, I feel you've always been good at, you know, focusing on yourself, doing these types of things and, and being able to reset. Because I think, I think as um, um, anybody in the workforce, uh, whether you're an employer or on a team, you know, the importance of just being able to reset yourself. I think we lose that a lot yeah and, um, I, you know i know i know you, you've been a workaholic over over the years but but being able to take time for yourself um uh, it, it is a great way to just get refocused yep yeah and um they call it 360 entrepreneur right personal um business and family and you know if you look at that in the flywheel 
when everything is at its peak, what gets sacrificed first? Personal. Personal. Yeah. Yep. You're not going to spend less time with your kids. Yeah. You're not going to spend less time on your business. So the one that the one that takes the hit first is always personal. When you can actually make a case, might be tough to sell to your spouse, but you can make a case that the personal is the most important. Yeah. It's like putting the oxygen mask on first, mm-hmm. right? It's the most important before you can focus on the rest. Yeah. Yeah. The Google CEO had a good analogy recently. He was like, everyone in life has, I think he said four balls. It could be five. He said, you got your health, you got your family, you got your friends, you got your work. He said, three of those balls are made out of rubber. One's made out of glass. He says, work is the one that's made out of glass. Or sorry, your family is the one made out of glass. The other ones... You might drop them from time to time they'll bounce back but if you drop the family one it's made out of glass it cracks and i might have butchered that analogy but yeah. yeah i think you guys understand the spirit of it yeah and it's good to keep in mind right you can like that's a great analogy. you're gonna drop yeah. the ball from time to time but know which ones are gonna bounce back and which ones won't yeah, yeah. that's great oh um, but we're, we should probably wrap up soon but last question before we wrap is um like what's next for you what do you got going on now and what do you see the future work-wise for you? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I Right now, what I'm focused on, so long-term, I'm not sure, you know, what I'm gonna, when I'm going to be jumping into the next thing 100%. Um, in the meantime, I've, I'm working with, uh, been advising some companies, both informally and formally, and um, just taking on some consulting, helping with due diligence on, on some deals. and uh, But really just learning about new spaces, new areas, and meeting people at this point nice. and then at some point I'm, I'm really trying to resist as like we just we just talked about it now like i have a tendency to go 150 percent into whatever the thing is all in and so i'm just really trying to resist going all in too soon yeah you know and give some space to you know try some different things yeah, yeah. spend time with those four kids that's right hang with the family right. yeah we had this summer like was was amazing you know it was the first time i'd really been able to disconnect because just yeah i didn't have a business to run yeah you know it was, it was great well i'm we, glad you have that time to join podcasts like this that's right <laughs> Wait, real, real quick this is a really important question when you guys travel do you get um your whole row of seats together as a family or being a family of six or do you split like three and three or two 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 yeah we do three and three three and three like one right in front of the other and the reason is that way when my kids are like kicking the seat or like leaning they're they're leaning their seat way too far back they're just messing. They're with only us. bugging. They're bugging us. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Powerful. <laughs> Trying to minimize the damage, basically. We That's used our to, strategy. When we used to travel when our kids were super young. We would. Um, uh, this is my wife's idea. We would leave um, uh, Snickers bars uh, <laughs> on the seats Genius. in front of us and the seats behind us mm-hmm. in advance of the flight even taking off. And our kids could be perfect on the plane, and you know, or they could cry the whole time. Who knows, right? They're six months old. Yeah. But she would apologize in advance by leaving candy um, for the people in front and behind. Oh, that's nice. So they were less averse to, you know, giving you that evil eye. Yeah, that's right. And so. Just person. soften the evil eye a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, if you guys take anything away from that podcast. That's, that's it. Podcast Just do that. <laughs> um, well, thanks so cool. much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, Appreciate this is it. great. Appreciate you coming on. The leaders that have had the most transparency over time, they're the ones that you remember. In times like these, adverse economic times, employees don't want to hear happy talk. Work every day like somebody's trying to take it from you, because they are. 